verse 39. These are the words of God to us. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. God, our hope this morning is for our hearts to be stirred to worship just as Mary's heart was stirred to worship. Our desire is to see the Lord Jesus Christ and to magnify His name through the proclaimed word this morning enable our hearts to worship in God our Savior. In Christ's name I pray these things. Amen. Now, the gift of music is a really, really, really wonderful thing. We, we were able to experience a portion of that this morning just when Todd was leading us. Um, we seem to be very musically-minded people, very song-driven people. Whenever someone strums a chord or plays a note on the piano, there's just something that happens with the way our minds connect together with, with words put in lyric, put to song, and the way these things come together. Songs are powerful tools of memory and are oftentimes used to commemorate special events. If you just think in your mind's eye and just run through that Rolodex of songs that you have in your mind, there's many, many songs that are just songs that are just written to be songs, but there are also many songs that were written as you had experienced some event or you were in some place and some song was playing or somebody wrote a song commemorating a certain event and forever ingrained in our mind's eye or in the mind's eye of the culture or the mind's eye of a, a nation or a people, you can just go, man, yeah, I hear that song and my mind's immediately drawn to this certain event. Whether it is some personal memory or something of historic importance, music holds a special place for almost all people. For instance, you have this song by Don McLean. So, bye, bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. Good old boys drinking whiskey and rye, this will be the day that I die. Now, I could stop. I could put a mic in your hand. I'm sure we could finish that song by just passing the mic around. And most people... I mean, but you, got, you haven't thought of that song probably in years unless you listen to like the 60s station on the radio or something, the 60s, 70s station. But most of us, I could stick the mic in your 
in your hand, and you'd be able to recall from memory, yeah, it just, it's something is pulled from your mind, and, and it just pulls us into that moment and goes, man, yeah, I'm thinking about these things. And when you look at the history of that song, Don McLean is writing the song, American Pie, writing about events that happened in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, and you just sing through, and you're just like, yeah, man, I remember that event, and I remember that event. Yeah, I remember those, those things happening. You also have song like, songs like Johnny Cash's The Ballad of Ira Hayes, singing about the Pima Indian who was a World War II hero fighting for the Marine Corps and the very nasty turn that his life took. Song that most of us would remember about a seemingly obscure guy, but we know about it because it's a real-life event put together with song. Or even something even older than that, that's something our nation would know, famous song by Francis Scott Key, The Star-Spangled Banner, a song written in light of an actual historic event from a historic battle. And the same thing, I could put the mic in your hand, it could go around, and we could probably just sing right through the song. You don't need to be prompted. It's just something connected. These historic places, historic times, song comes together, put to lyric, and it's just something ingrained within us. But these songs are not the only instances of music colliding with some great event. When we turn our mind's eye to this third week of Advent, looking at Luke 1, 39 through 56, what we have is a song, Mary's song, and another song, Elizabeth's song, commemorating something, bringing together, pulling together these ideas of what God was doing in the midst of his people in salvation history at the specific time and at the specific place, and all of these events come mixing and mingling together, come smashing together, and what you get are the songs of two women being used by God in a mighty way to present us with a deep, rich, theological understanding of what God is doing. And it wasn't just merely some narrative historical account, but Luke goes, man, there are these two songs that in a nutshell show us exactly what God is doing among his people. Remember, the 400 years of prophetic silence have been broken. Luke is continuing to major on his twin themes of salvation and promise and fulfillment. In that first week, we looked at the foretelling of John's birth, and you have God's right timing and salvation history displayed. And then the second week, we look at the foretelling of Jesus' birth, and you have Jesus elevated above John as the one greater than John. And all of these events smash together, and what you have is an explosive response of praise. Flipping to this chapter... Is like tuning your radio to the local music station. What comes on the radio are the two hit songs of the season. Elizabeth's Song of Blessing and the Magnificat, sung by none other than Mary, the mother of Jesus. And these songs and truths they're telling become part of God's compassionate response towards Mary as a way to confirm the promises that were made to her. See, what Luke is not doing is just going, man, there are some pretty sweet songs, and people are probably going to be singing about these for a long time, so I feel a little obligated to have to put them in my gospel so that we can get that done and over with and move on down the road. That's that's not what Luke is doing. What Luke is doing is, in a nutshell, encapsulating all of the beauty and the glory of what God was doing in the foretelling of John's birth and the foretelling of Jesus' birth, and he brings them together and goes, these two songs perfectly show us what is going on in my plan of salvation history, and even more so, God is doing this. He is giving confirmation to Mary for the promises that he's made to her. He's giving confirmation to the promises that he has made to her, and he's going to do it through Elizabeth's song 
And we're going to see confirmation that would help her heart know, man, I know God is in this. I'm trusting in God. I see the promises he's made to me. And I'm going to trust and rest and lean and press into God my Savior. And he's going to do that through the song that he gives Mary as well. So the one thing that we're going to see this morning is this. God provides confirmation for the promises he gives. God provides confirmation for the promises he gives. And he's going to do it in this fourfold way as we look at our scripture for this morning. He's going to do it by filling Elizabeth with the Holy Spirit. That would be one way of confirmation. He's going to have Elizabeth bless Mary through song. That's another way that Mary is going to receive confirmation for the promises God has given her. Third, Elizabeth's baby will leap, and the implications of that are going to be more confirmation for Mary. And God is going to give Mary a song of praise, and we're going to just look at how that song breaks down. And as we look at how that song breaks down, that would again be more confirmation coming from her lips on how she sees and trusts and understands God to be confirming the promises that she has been given from God. So God provides confirmation for the promises he gives. The songs of these two women magnify the fact that the baby in Mary's womb is no ordinary child. With the coming or the advent of Jesus, all of the promises of God will find their fulfillment in him. The redemption of Israel and the hope of salvation for the nations lies with the birth of this baby boy that is in Mary's womb. Gabriel, who was dispatched from God himself, spoke some extraordinary promises to Mary. I mean, think about it. Mary was told that she had found favor with God, that she would conceive and bear a son through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that the son would be the son of God, the Davidic Messiah, the forever king, the holy one. So God is saying and setting up for her, these are things that are going to happen. I am promising to you that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to conceive. This son is going to be great. This isn't just coming from Gabriel alone. This is coming from the very throne room of God, and it's coming through the messenger Gabriel. And what Gabriel is doing in delivering these things to Mary is saying, God is doing this. God is going to do this. You will name him Jesus. Jesus means the Lord of salvation. This is the son that all the hopes of the Old Testament are going to be wrapped up and found to be fulfilled in him. I mean, those are some hefty promises that God is giving, giving to Mary. She heard the angel say, nothing is impossible with God, and she reacted with confident faith by saying, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And we looked at that last week. That's an appropriate response. It's an extremely appropriate response. So the angel Gabriel has come and he's talking to her. He's saying these things and saying these things and saying these things. We mentioned last week it could have been possible for her to be like, okay, that's just ridiculous, and responded like Zachariah responded. But we see that Luke sets her up as a model believer, one that says, God, this is your will for me, so be it. I am your servant. Do with me as you see fit. But after such an extraordinary event, it wouldn't be too far-fetched to think that something like doubt and unbelief could grip her heart, right? So she says that, I'm your servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The angel departs from her. Now, very quickly, she's going to make her way towards Elizabeth, but it wasn't like the angel departed and she hopped on the donkey and took off. So what would happen to those next couple hours? And it's not too far-fetched to imagine her starting to think things like this. 
did I just really have a conversation with an angel that just showed up out of the middle of nowhere? Like, what's that about? Because that happens all the time, right? Like, did, did that just really happen? Did I just have a conversation with the angel Gabriel, God's right-hand angel, the one that just dispatched and does all these great things? Did he really just say that I would conceive a baby through the power of the Holy Spirit and not by Joseph? So it's not too far-fetched for her to start going, man, okay, big promises. I'm his servant. I'm submitting myself to him. But God, in a very compassionate way, loving his servant well, is going to come along and give at least these four confirmations to Mary, showing that what I have said is not impossible for me, and what I'm going to do is going to come to pass, and God loves his servant well and confirms for her these four things. But instead of disobedience, when Mary hears these things, she reacts in a very right way. Luke portrays Mary as a model believer who eagerly responds in obedience to the message that she received from God. And with haste, Mary went into the hill country to see her cousin Elizabeth, who was six months along in her pregnancy. Mary, who had gone to Elizabeth because the angel had told Mary what God had done in her life, but the reverse was not true. Elizabeth didn't know Mary had received a similar experience. If you go back a couple of verses in Luke, And look, what you see is that at the end of that exchange between Gabriel and Mary, Gabriel says, hey, Mary, by the way, your cousin Elizabeth, who is very old, actually has a baby in her belly. Then what you see her saying is, well, I'm your servant. Do with me as you see fit. The angel departs, and then it says, in those days, verse 39, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. So you see what she does is gets up, goes, walks into the door, and says a greeting to Elizabeth. But during this whole time, we don't get anything from Luke that somehow there was some sort of like special revelation given to Elizabeth that she would know what was going on with Mary. But the song that she is going to sing is going to show us that she was pegging it right on the head. She is hitting it right on. She knew exactly what was going on there. And that's going to be one of the many ways that Mary is going to receive confirmation. So from Luke 139 through 56, we see that God provides confirmation for the promises he made to Mary. First, the Holy Spirit is going to fill Elizabeth. Look at verse 41 there. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So in those days, Mary, after having that exchange with Gabriel, arose, went into, with haste into the hill country, to the town of Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So what we have this picture is like a very rapid-fire event. She hears, she responds with obedience, trusting that God is going to faithfully fulfill His promises Whatever mode of transportation she takes to get from Nazareth down to the hill country of Judah, gets there, walks to the threshold, sees Elizabeth, however she greets her, hey Elizabeth, how's it going? And then Luke shows us that in verse 41, a couple of things happen in rapid fire. Elizabeth, here's the greeting, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, right in that order. So God is going to provide confirmation for his promises by filling Elizabeth with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the common character that keeps showing up in all the events that have been found in the infancy narrative so far. 
So if you look back at the, the, what John was going on in his life, Gabriel said John is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. So the Holy Spirit shows up in that little bit of Scripture. The next Scripture is the foretelling of Jesus' birth. And what you have is the Holy Spirit playing a big part in, through the power of the Holy Spirit, enabling Mary to conceive. And so then what you have here again is the Holy Spirit showing up in this next chunk of Scripture. And he's the common character that keeps showing up and is, keeps coming around And the importance of his work, the Holy Spirit's work, in the life of God's people is another theme that Luke keeps presenting before his readers. The presence of the Holy Spirit has appeared in all of these events, and really what this is, is God's stamp of approval over all of these events. These aren't just sheer random things taking place. What we're meant to do is look and see, man, the Holy Spirit is here. This is a God thing. The Holy Spirit showed up here. This is a God thing. The Holy Spirit is showing up, and what we're about to hear Elizabeth say to Mary, and what we're not to do is draw the conclusion Mary is just speaking out of sheer luck and just getting some things. What we're meant to see is that the words that she is saying are true and right because they are influenced by the Holy Spirit himself. So God confirms his promises to Mary by filling Elizabeth with the Holy Spirit. Second, Elizabeth is going to bless Mary. Elizabeth is going to bless Mary, and God provides another source of confirmation for his promises by stirring Elizabeth to bless Mary. Look at your Bible there, verses 41 through 45. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, in the sound of your greeting came to my ears the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord." Now, Mary would normally have a blessed Elizabeth, the older of the two, but Elizabeth recognizes that she is in the presence of one whom God had highly favored. So what is unique in this instance is this. In that culture, in that day, in that age, it was not done this way. It was not done where the one who was elderly, the one who was older in years, who by being older in years had in, in families would have received higher blessing and higher honor, so the younger members of the family would have come along and what they would have done is spoken some sort of blessing to the person, to the patriarch, to the mother or the the grandmother or the father or the grandfather. That's just the way it worked there. It wasn't a free exchange of greetings like if I just showed up at someone's house here in the U.S. in this day and age and someone is older to me, it would not be odd or seen to be out of place if that person greeted me. Hey, how are you doing, John? I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Or if I got it out first and said the blessing or said the hello first, that's just not the way it works. But that was a really big deal in Palestine here in the first century. You just didn't do that. The older person blessing and giving honor to the younger person. We will miss that because that is not the culture in which we live in, but I can guarantee you first century readers would notice this role reversal, and Mary for sure would sense this blessing from Elizabeth as out of place. Yet Luke presents this blessing 
from Elizabeth to Mary as a good thing because what Elizabeth is doing is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth lays on Mary a triple blessing, and this would have been another form of confirmation for Mary, for it should have been Mary blessing her older cousin, not the other way around. And when Elizabeth exclaims that the fruit of your womb is blessed, and because this is true, blessed are you among women, what we are meant to see from Luke is this, is that this is an abnormal thing. This doesn't happen. And it would have been another form of confirmation from Mary as she's just rolling around in her mind all these things that the angel Gabriel had said. And when she comes here, all of a sudden, before she can even eke out a blessing or giving an, a moment of honor to her older cousin, Mary, filled with the Spirit, blurts out a blessing. Blessed are you. Mary, why are you blessed, Mary? Not because you have something inherently worthy of blessing within yourself, but it's because of the nature and the divine nature and the humanity of that Son mixed together, smashed together. The Son of God incarnate, wrapped in flesh, is in your womb. And because He is holy, because He is great, because He is the Lord, you will be blessed. I mean, that's abnormal. And that just would have been, again, another form of confirmation for Mary to go, man, yeah, this, this is going to happen. Like, this is happening. It's going forward. Truly, nothing will be impossible with God. And this just would have been another pointer for Mary to see this. Mary is blessed because she believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary's blessing came not from who she was or would become, Rather, Mary's blessing came from the holy baby whom she carried in her womb. Also, Elizabeth's blessing provided Mary another form of confirmation when Elizabeth called Mary's baby Lord. Look at that here in the scriptures. Verse 43. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So, I mean, think about the situation that's going on here. Elizabeth doesn't necessarily know what's going on with Mary. It's the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit on her that is helping her speak these true and right things. Mary shows up, says hello, Holy Spirit fills her, and then under the influence of the Holy Spirit, what she says is this. I have a Lord. I worship this Lord. There's this coming one who is going to be the Savior of the world, and he's going to be fully God and fully man. And Luke 1.6 says that, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous and devout people. They knew their Old Testament. So they knew enough, like from Isaiah 53, that there's going to be this coming servant. They knew enough from Jeremiah that there's going to be this coming one who's going to be the one to fulfill these covenantal promises, who's going to be the Savior of the world, this one who's going to come and die and redeem his people and make people once and for all right with God. She is longing for this Lord. And what she says is this. She looks at Mary and goes, How in the world am I so blessed to be able to stand in the presence of the woman who's carrying my God, my Savior, my Lord. That's high praise that she's pouring out on the baby Christ. He's in utero. I mean, he hasn't even come out of the womb and done anything miraculously yet. But Mary would have picked that up as another form of confirmation because she knew these great things that were being told to her because the angel Gabriel told them to her, but Elizabeth had not been told them, but all of a sudden now under the influence of the Holy Spirit who was present in the giving of the information to Mary is now the exact same Holy Spirit who is influencing Elizabeth, who is reconfirming the things that Mary has heard and saying the exact same stuff. Mary, all the stuff that was true when you heard what you heard when Gabriel was around, Elizabeth 
Elizabeth is saying in another time, in another place, under the influence of the same Holy Spirit, and that would have been, again, just another confirmation, another piece of the pie coming to Mary, saying, yes, what God has promised is going to come to pass. Third, Elizabeth's baby will leap for joy. God provides confirmation for his promises by Elizabeth's baby leaping for joy in her womb. So confirmation one was this idea that the Holy Spirit's going to fill her. Confirmation two is this idea of Elizabeth blessing Mary, this third confirmation that Mary is going to receive that's going to help her trust and see that, yes, God is bringing about what he has promised, is that babies, Elizabeth's baby is going to leap in her womb. Look at verses 41 44. So when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 44, And behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. John, the Baptist, the baby in Elizabeth's womb, was God's chosen man and was the last prophet in a long line of prophets that would go before the Lord and prepare his way. We touched on that in the first week of Advent. When Mary comes to Elizabeth... And her greeting came to her ears. Elizabeth, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, interprets this in utero leaping of her baby as a leap of joy. So it's like, when you're reading that going, okay, the baby leaped, and then somehow Elizabeth is able to interpret the emotional state of the fetus in her womb and goes, hey, guess what? This thing was leaping for joy. It's like, how do you know that? Like, I mean, that's the question I'm asking. How do you know that? Elizabeth, that that's what's going on. And the answer is, what Luke wants us to see and what the promise being confirmed is, see, what Elizabeth is doing is going, man, I should probably somehow encourage her. Some crazy stuff's going on in her life. So, hey, my baby's really happy to see your baby. She's not just pulling this out of thin air. What we're meant to see is that this is God himself influencing residing, dwelling, superintending the words of Elizabeth. And we're meant to see is that this is God, again, another way confirming, saying, listen, John the Baptist, little baby in my womb, who is supposed to be preparing the way for the baby in your womb, Mary, is actually reacting rightly. He's worshiping. The in utero leaping of John the Baptist was one of the very first proto ways that John the Baptist prepares the way for the Lord with joy. Boom! The one I'm supposed to come and make the way for is here. And he just sort of has this explosive burst of joy even in the womb. And this would have been another way for Mary to understand and know that, yes, God, God's doing some amazing stuff. God is doing some amazing stuff. Fourth, and finally, one of the fourth ways that Mary is going to receive confirmation for the promises that God had given her was that God was going to provide confirmation by planting a song of praise on Mary's lips. By planting a song of praise on Mary's lips. When you look at the Magnificat, the Magnificat is Latin, and it translates the word magnifies. And so when you read that, there are some old translations of the Bible written in Latin. And so if you're reading Luke 1 and you got to verse 46, what you would read is that word magnificat as a way in Latin to carry this idea of like my soul magnifies, it's magnifying and worshiping. So usually the one little phrase that's attached to this so we can just sort of pinpoint this hymn amongst all the hymns in the scripture is, this is known as the magnificat, Mary's song of praise. Look at the first two verses there. 
first three verses. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. It magnifies the Lord. And my spirit, it rejoices in God my Savior. Why? For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. In Gabriel's announcement to Mary, as he is pulling language from the Old Testament, he names Jesus as the Davidic Messiah and the forever king that will rule and reign forever. And this Davidic Messiah's kingdom is going to be different. And just as the Apostle Paul explodes with doxological praise at the end of Romans 11, so if you're reading all the book of Romans, it's, hey, sin's really bad. It's a really bad deal because it separates you from God forever. But thanks be to God, we can be found to be right with God because of the righteousness of God and sending his son and making a way for us. And so what you see is these great doctrine of justification in the book of Romans comes along and it's just repeated over and over again. Hey, it's really bad, but Jesus is really great. You're really going to go to hell if you are not made right with God. And then uh, Paul holds, upholds that, but we can actually be made right with God because of the work of Jesus Christ. And over and over again, that truth comes around and comes around and comes around and comes around. And at the end of Romans 11, what you have is just this explosive burst of praise from Paul. Like he can't contain it anymore. And he just exudes worship because of how great God is and the fact that he would stoop to send the Son of God cloaked in flesh to the earth to be pinned on the cross, shedding his life's blood as the one sacrifice for sin to make rebellious, treasonous people like you and me right with himself. He can't contain himself. And just as that is true, what you get here in verse 46 is that same exuberant adoration that we see Paul give. Because just think, because what she has just received is, hey, listen, some great things are coming your way. God is sending the Savior of the world in your womb. You're going to bring him to bear, and you're going to give birth to him, and he's going to be great, and he's going to be the Son of God, he's going to be holy, and just all these things are just pounding and pounding and mixing and swirling and coming together, and then what happens, he eventually gets to the point where she just goes, man, my soul magnifies God. My soul magnifies God. I rejoice in God, my Savior, because I need a Savior. And Luke upholds for us that the right reaction to the Advent season is this, is that you and I are to be worshipers of Christ, not only now, but all time, because God is doing and has done a great thing in sending the Savior, Jesus Christ. Why does Mary rejoice in this manner? Because her Lord has looked on the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call Mary blessed. The mighty God, the holy God, the merciful God is ushering in something new. The coming of this Davidic Messiah, the coming of King Jesus, is going to bring in a complete reversal of things. So when you look at verses 48 through 50, what you see is this, is that the humble will be exalted and the arrogant are going to be brought low. We find the coming of God's mercy and salvation to the lowly in verses 48 through 50. King Jesus and his kingdom, when it shows up, it's not entrance into, into Christ's kingdom because you're really cool. It's not entrance into Christ's kingdom because you are exalted. It's not entrance into Christ's kingdom because you have money or fame or power. It's entrance into Christ's kingdom because you are lowly of heart. 
you realize I am humbled before God. When I stand before God, I don't stand before God in an exalted state saying, of course, God, you want me on your team. Look at who I am. It's God. How in the world, how dare I stand in the presence of a holy God? I am humbled in heart and I am low in spirit because I know what I deserve, but I'm begging and I'm pleading Please give me mercy and please give me grace. And what we see throughout the New Testament is this, is that God does grant mercy and God does grant grace, not because you or I are so awesome, but it's because we're so awful. And he sends his son Jesus, who is in Mary's womb, and through that child, through that son, who's going to be nailed to that cross, we can now be exalted in the sense of salvation coming to us, but we don't receive salvation because we deserve it. We receive salvation because Christ died on our behalf. And so the kingdom of King Jesus is coming in, and Mary and her song uphold in that first half. Listen, King Jesus and his kingdom, reversing stuff. Things aren't going to be the same. These people would have realized that. They could have looked at the Roman kingdom and go, man, the way you survive in the Roman kingdom is by being exalted striving to be the best, striving to be the most powerful, striving to be the most political, striving to have the most money, striving to put everyone else down so that you will be seen great. And what we see here is Mary going, not true in the kingdom of King Jesus. You were enfolded as a member when you were humble of heart. And the corresponding judgment and the bringing low of the exalted is found in verses 51 through 53. Luke saw in Jesus' coming a great reversal of the world's value system. And with Jesus' coming, the humble poor and the outcasts become first. They're the ones who receive salvation. Where the proud and arrogant become last, they are the ones rejecting salvation and receiving divine judgment. Mary also makes much of God's promises when she speaks of the actions of her Savior God and his covenant with Abraham. Those are the last couple of verses there. 54, 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his memory, mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Luke has an eye on history, and he sees that the birth of Jesus did not happen in a vacuum, but in the fullness of time. And when Jesus was born, he was born in fulfillment of the many promises from God covenants have been made between God and man and the promise that had been made to Adam the promise that had been made to Noah, Abraham Isaac, Jacob is now coming into fullness in time and space. He God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. So what do we do with this? So we read this and we go okay man, I hear what's going on it's It's God providing confirmation to the promises that he's made to his servant Mary. Well, congratulations, Mary. I'm glad that you had such an excellent, outstanding experience with God. You had some hard stuff to believe. God loved you well. Kudos to you. Pat on your back. I'm so glad you were able to be confirmed in the promises that were given to you. But in our scripture this morning, we we see that God loves and cares for his servant by giving these confirmations. And now we have to admit it is true that the type of experiences that Mary went through were a one-time event, and these confirmations to her in her time and in her place were for her situation. But what we ought not do is step back and go, okay, that is just a true principle for Mary in this situation, that God provides confirmation for the promises that he gives. 
just because in Luke 1, 39 through 56, it provides confirmation for the promises God made to Mary, it does not negate the fact that God is still a promise-keeping God that makes true on his promises throughout the ages. He isn't a promise-keeping God only to Mary in her situation, and, well, everyone else is just sort of out of luck. But what we see is Mary connecting some dots when she says what she says in verses 54 and 55, when she's talking about, man, this is really good news because God is holding to the promises of Abraham. This is Luke. The promises he made to Abraham were back in Genesis chapter 12. That's a lot of Bible in there in between. And what Mary is doing is saying, now in my life, a long time ago and far, far away from what he said to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, these things are coming true. And she's connecting the dots that my robust, exuberant adoration is rooted in the fact that God has kept his promise. The truth of God's covenantal faithfulness is at the very foundation of Mary's praise. She makes the connection that God has remained faithful to Israel and that he has remained faithful to the promises he made to Abraham by putting the son Jesus in her womb. And God's faithfulness is ground for praise. And in this portion of Scripture, Mary is swimming neck deep in faithfulness. I mean, she's living it, right? I mean, it's not some like far-off theory. Well, I think God answers and is faithful to his promises. That's a good theological discussion at the coffee shop over over like a latte. I mean, that's not what's going on. She's, She's swimming neck deep in faithfulness. She is seeing and living out. She has a baby in her belly that was planted there by the power of the Holy Spirit. She's got Elizabeth showing confirmation, showing confirmation, showing confirmation. She's having these extraordinary experiences. She is living out tangibly in a manifest way, the faithfulness of God in her life. But what happens when God's faithfulness to his promises isn't so obvious? Like, what happens when it's not so obvious? Like, like what happens in your life and my life when we are not swimming neck deep in faithfulness like Mary was in this situation? How are we to react? What are we to do? Often, to our disgrace and dishonor, our praise outflow is equal to our perceived blessing income, right? So we find ourselves in a situation, whatever your situation is in, and for whatever reason, you're saying in this situation, yeah, this situation sucks. God, you're not faithful now, are you? And so what we do is go, man, I don't perceive that God is being faithful to me right now. And so, because I'm not feeling a lot of faithfulness to God, there's not a lot of praise coming from me. God, you are not here, obviously, thus I'm not giving you a lot of praise. Oh, God, man, I just saw you do a great and mighty thing. Glory, hallelujah, praise be to God. Well, of course you're going to do that, because you're feeling the manifest presence of God working that blessing out in your life. But what is the tenor and tone of Scripture? The tenor and tone of Scripture is this. Praise is to be on our lips all the time, no matter whether it's the full-blown expression of God's faithfulness, and you're swimming neck deep in it, or no matter whether it's like, man, I have no idea how God is working in this situation. It's not, well, low feeling of blessing, low feeling of praise. It's low feeling, high feeling of blessing. No matter where it is, God faithfulness, it's just praise. We're to be creatures of praise. 
creatures of worship, creatures of adoration, constantly on our lips, we're to be saying, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. There are times when we are called upon to live for God and be a winsome witness for Christ when we don't feel like it. When we don't have an overwhelming sense of God's faithfulness. But even if we never have and experience another blessing from God or sense His faithfulness to His promises again, as long as we live, we would have no justification to do anything but live each day in praise. We've got no justification to do that. The world argues against this, by the way. The world says this, your secular co-worker, your unbelieving neighbor says this, if your life circumstance sucks, you have every right to be bitter against God. You have every right to extend a middle finger against God. You have every right to grumble and complain against God. But the scriptures do not teach us that. The scriptures show us that because we have been born again by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, we have no justification to do anything but praise God continually. But this, but this idea of the world is to never be named amongst us. Because if we are in Christ and salvation has come to us, then we have already received the greatest gift from God, our Savior, that we could ever receive. If you, this morning, are in Christ, then Christ's work of redemption, because of what He did on the cross, has been applied to your heart. And you are on the receiving end of the greatest promise ever given. Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes Him, the Father who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Those are promises to you. I mean, are you hearing that? Those are promises to you from Jesus. Truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him, the Father who sent me, has eternal life. So when you read the scripture and you see God the Father saying, here is my son, and in him is salvation, and you come to that place where you go, yes, I see a holy God, and I see the sinfulness of myself, and I see that I need a Savior, and I see that Jesus Christ is the only one who can make me right with God Jesus himself is saying, when you come to that point and you understand that, you have eternal life. That is a promise. He does not come into judgment. That is a promise. He passes from death to life. That is a promise. So no matter if life is horrible and it's not in the place that you think it ought to be, but if you are in Christ, no matter what may come, no matter what breaker may break over me, no matter what wave wants to sink me, the ballast of my soul is salvation in Christ alone. And because salvation in Christ alone is a promise, I can praise God no matter what comes my way. That's John 5, 24. Redemption has been accomplished in Christ and applied to our hearts because of everything Christ has done. And we have the confirmation of the Holy Spirit in our lives as evidence of this. So you want confirmation? That's a promise. Hey, you've got eternal life. You move from death to life. If you're found in Christ, you want the confirmation of that? Acts 2, 38, 39. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So, the Lord our God is calling people to himself. This is the promise that those who have been called by God the Father will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mary had promises. She would receive confirmation. You and I, with salvation, have the promise that if we cast ourselves in faith upon Jesus Christ, we will receive the blessings of that promise. And the confirmation that that is true of you is the Holy Spirit dwells and lives within you. And you see Luke pick up this idea of the Holy Spirit. He runs it from Luke 1 all the way to Acts chapter 28. And you see the Holy Spirit coming up over and over and over again that this is how you know that you are a child of this promise. And that's good news for us because that is to be the anchor of your soul when it comes to loving your wife, loving your husband, working with your coworker, talking to your neighbor, parenting your child, dating, engaged, good boss, bad boss, good weather, bad weather, tornado annihilates your house, or you're living in a land of just pure blessing right now in this season of life. The reaction of our hearts is to be, my praise outflow does not fluctuate and is not contingent upon the situation and the circumstance in my life. Even if the rest of our days were to be marked by suffering and they showed no sign of the manifest faithfulness of God, we would still have no other choice to worship but to worship our God with glad adoration because we have fellowship with God having received the promise of the Holy Spirit all because of the work of Jesus Christ. Brothers, sisters, we are citizens. Citizens of the city of God and our identity is rooted in Jesus. Our identity is not rooted in life circumstances. That's why we can praise God in the midst of life circumstances. Our identity is rooted in Jesus. We can do nothing but live in gratitude to God for what he has already done in our life. We often forget Our praise often fluctuates, but God never forgets. And when he makes a promise, he keeps it. And Mary understood that as she sang. And so we can look at the Magnificat, the the hit song of the season, right? And we can look at that and go, man, that's a model right there. That's what I'm striving for. Whether it's crazy circumstances or good circumstances, I'm striving to be this. Not striving on my own accord, but striving under the power and the influence of God in me. God, we thank you that you are a holy God, that you save us, that you do provide confirmations for the promises you've made, even though they may not show up like the way they did in Mary's life. But we have received the ultimate promise, the ultimate sign of faithfulness. You murdered your son for our benefit. And if we in faith rest on Jesus' shed blood as the hope of salvation, then we become children of the promise. And you have confirmed this promise by sending the Holy Spirit to lead, to guide, to fill us all the days of our life. Take these words now and make them alive to us today and for this coming week. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.